You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, I'm Mella, and you're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle. Our guest today is my friend Holly Emore. Holly is the Executive Director of Cherry Hill Seminary, an international distance education program. She is committed to building interfaith relationships locally and globally, and she serves on the Board of Directors of Interfaith Partners of South Carolina. And she often teaches public groups about the rapidly growing pagan religions. She has been a regional resource for law enforcement, victim services, criminal justice classes, and others since 2004. She serves in the American Red Cross as a volunteer chaplain in disaster spiritual care. She's also published a book called Constellated Ministry, a guide for those serving today's pagans. And I asked her to come chat with me about that today and whatever else we decide to chat about. (laughs) Welcome, Holly. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast. You are such a beacon of light for the pagan community. And personally in my life, I'm so appreciative of your friendship and the opportunities you've given me in our area to speak about aspects of paganism. So I think before we get into the nitty gritty, would you mind telling us a little bit about your story of how you got to where you are now spiritually? You know, I was one of those um, odd children who just always felt the spiritual side of life. And Mm. so I accepted um, religious teaching that I was grown up, uh, brought up with, although of course I started to question as an adolescent, like most of us do. Uh, My mother used to uh, call me, tease and call me St. Francis because I would spend a lot of time in the woods. (laughs) And uh, then I got involved in the environmental movement. Uh, as a young teenager. So I think um, most pagans will recognize that. Uh, So many people have said to me exactly what I experienced, which is that one day we said, gosh, I realize that I have always felt closer to God, closer to spirit, reality, whatever name you want to put on it. It's always been when I was in nature. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I cycled through. I got caught up in the uh, evangelical charismatic movement as an older teenager and was there for a number of years and until um, I was spit out of a bad divorce. And, you know, I kept telling myself, you know, don't don't blame God's people. Don't blame God for how God's people act. But, uh-huh. you know, eventually it kind of wears you down. So yeah. I, I sort of shifted gears and... I was uh, part of um, the Episcopal Church for a short time, uh, Unitarians for about 10 years, and God bless the Unitarians, you know, they're great, and Mm -hmm. many pagans are also Unitarian Universalists. Um, But eventually, I just, uh, I was out walking one night, Uh, I used to walk uh, just around sundown, because it was cooler then. And uh, I could smell some early flowers that must have been blooming because this was about March and hear a brook in my neighborhood that I never knew existed. 
And then as I turned around, I was kind of praying. I wasn't sure to whom, but I, I asked for some guidance about some life decisions. And when I turned the corner to walk back towards my house about another mile, there was a tremendous full moon. You know, one of those times when it looks like it's just fills up the sky. Yeah. And I came home and just instinctively set up what I now know was an altar. I got mm -hmm. a candle, a crystal, I cut some herbs out of my garden, and uh, some incense. And I would sit beside that little place every day and just be quiet. And I wasn't sure what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, eventually I, I found my way. Um, mm -hmm. I had early Wiccan training a couple of times over and uh, eventually realized that I was just drawn to ancient Egyptian uh, mm. deities and, and uh, ways of thinking. And at first I was a little shy about that. I thought, oh, you know, everybody wants to be Cleopatra in a past life. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason it just, um, I, I finally acknowledged that every time I would read the ancient texts or read about Egyptology, I started feeling relaxed and peaceful and happy. Mm. So that's what took me in the direction of my current path for about the last 20 years. That's amazing. And that does sound a lot like my own experience and a lot of other people's experience of just realizing, yeah. hey, I feel closer to divine, however you define it, by a mm. waterfall. That's for me, running water. Yeah. outside under the moon that sort of thing and a lot of times people just feel like it just was a natural thing to become more earth-centered so yes. I love that yeah so what about pagan ministry led you to do your research on it you know I uh, stumbled across uh, Cherry Hill Seminary when I was at a conference in Baltimore one year and uh, I have to say that Judy Harrow really took me under her wing. I never was part of her tradition, uh, but she was very kind to me and encouraging. And they were kind of getting Cherry Hill off the ground as a distance ed program. Before that, it had pretty much been a place-based set of classes in Vermont. Mm. And after, I, so I, I signed up right away and started taking classes. They were certificate classes at the time. Mm. And within a couple of years, the leadership there had figured out that I was a nonprofit consultant by trade, and mm. they knew they were at this kind of hump in the road, you know, that mm -hmm. they needed to move from being sort of a mom and pop out of the kitchen uh, operation to being a, a real organization. They had just gotten their uh, nonprofit status with IRS. So I was asked by the founder to chair a first board of directors which I did. And then a year later, that person left and the board approached me and asked if I would consider being executive director. So that's how I ended up in Cherry Hill. And I, at the same time, was continuing to pursue my studies. And as soon as we opened the master's program, Master of Divinity, I applied and was admitted. But I went through the same process everybody else does. Mm. And it took me years to earn it. And uh, near the end, when I was uh, 
required to do a thesis, I just kept thinking, you know, I've been director of this seminary for years. And before that, I was a nonprofit consultant. And one of the things you have to use in writing grants and things like that is identify what are best practices in your field and use those. And best practices means stuff that's been researched and proven to be effective. They'll also use the term proven effective. And I thought, you know, we don't have any idea what our (laughs) best practices in pagan ministry. A lot of pagans still don't even want to hear the word ministry. They don't like the word clergy. You know, a lot of them are still really prickly about anything that reminds them of their former religion. And at the same time, I had been researching groups and um, the people who company uh, or organizations like the Pew Forum, uh, all the data people, they call Mm -hmm. them nuns or spiritual but not religious, Mm -hmm. uh, abbreviated as SBNR. And I thought, you know, it's interesting to me that SBNR numbers in this country have risen at about the same time that pagans have come along and are mostly solitary. So one thing to remember is that SBNR people or people who check none on a survey, when they're also asked, do you have religious or spiritual beliefs? Most of them say yes. (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not that they're atheist or um, necessarily avoiding spirituality. They just don't feel affiliated or don't resonate. And in the case of many pagans, for some reason, they're solitary. And when I read that Helen Berger, who is the goddess of all things uh, data-related, and she's not pagan, by the way. She's a very respected sociologist. She... um, had written that about 80% of pagans in her studies said they were solitary. And I thought, Mm. do they want to be solitary? Mm. Mm -hmm. Do they just find themselves that way? And if they want to be, why? What are the reasons? And for those of us who feel called to be there to support people in some way, how do we support people where they are? So that became my uh, thesis topic. I did a survey, which I did not want to do, but Helen's data was starting to be a little bit dated, although she has got a wonderful book out in the last two years called Solitary Pagans, Hmm. and I highly recommend it. I wanted to find out, why are you solitary? What do you want? What do you need from a support person, if anything, who would you rather that person be? Are you part of a group? And if so, what does that look like? So the survey went out and I got results from 1,600 Americans and about 25 other countries. Hmm. Uh, So I narrowed the group and uh, focused on the U.S. respondents primarily uh, because there are some slight cultural differences in some of the other countries. Mm -hmm. What I found out is that most people would like to be connected with somebody. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a lot of them who said, I'm not part of a group because I just got tired of the craziness. Mm -hmm. 
the dysfunction, the burnout. Yeah. I was a leader and people turned on me, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of them simply don't have access to a group. Some people cannot access a group because they can't drive or they can't drive at night or they have a health condition. There were a few people that said, frankly, I have an anxiety disorder and I've just learned that it's better for me to be on my own. I was very taken with the uh, human nature of these responses. But I was also confused because even though I had made it clear in the beginning of the survey, by group, I mean some place that you go and you're in a particular place with other individuals. And people would say, they would check, yes, I'm part of that. And then later when I would ask, what, what kind of group is that? Oh, it's a Facebook group. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, it, it, the, or I go to this particular conference every year. I love to do this. So that taught me that we all define community in our own ways. Mm. And that's what led to eventually this concept of what I'm calling constellated ministry dawned on me. Mm. So could you explain exactly what that means, uh, constellated ministry? Okay. Yes. And this is a term I made up. You won't find it other places yet. Uh, I just kept thinking, what is it? How do we meet the needs of people who may only be connected because they're part of this, I don't know, a reading group? Mm. Or they all happen to uh, belong to the same choral group uh, or whatever. And I noticed about the same time, my group here in town called Temple Osirian we had started to open up some of our periodic rituals to, uh, we started this with winter solstice. We just invited friends in. And gosh, I had forgotten. I have a lot of friends with spiritual leanings, a couple of them who are former pagans, uh, now Buddhist or whatever. And they really were looking for some somebody to be with who would accept them just as they were. I have a friend who's agnostic, and they they wanted to come together at a time like that. They wanted the community. They wanted the sense of spirituality. Um, a couple of my Jewish friends turned up. We lit Hanukkah candles too, <laughs> oh, nice. uh, which was really cool. Yeah, and so we've uh, continued to do that until COVID, and found that there's a small group of people who uh, will usually turn up. And that's when I thought, oh, you know, I'm tied to this person through my LGBT uh, advocacy. I'm tied to this person through something else. And I just, I started to think about constellations. I had read about Indra's net, which is an ancient Buddhist concept of this fishing net, and each little intersection is a jewel, and each jewel is a star, but it reflects all the other intersections. And then I remembered that I loved Greek mythology growing up. I loved the constellations. But you know, other cultures have different constellations from the same stars. Mm -hmm. There's an Egyptian zodiac. Um, I, I'm not sure how the Indian 
Vedic one varies, and I think ours is primarily based on Mesopotamia. I'm not an expert on that, but I certainly know that you can look at one group of stars and see one picture and somebody else will see something else. Right, kind of like clouds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's where that idea came from, that your ministry, the shape of it, is no longer based on a place or even a particular person. It's based on function. Mm. And if you want to be effective as a leader, you will develop a leadership constellation where you're part of a team. That makes a lot of sense to me. And even even just the word constellated being related to constellations, it, it gives you that word picture and really does fit even what I know about pagan ministry and what pagans are looking for and just the whole, you know, they have their Facebook groups, they may come, you know, to my full moon ceremony, they may go on special occasions, mm-hmm. the festivals, pagan pride, like all the different things that really does fit. So I love that you have created this wonderful word that is such a great word picture for it. I hope it will serve all of us. And of course, I I learned a lot from interviewing you for this book. So your listeners can, can look for that when they read it. I was honored to be interviewed about my own personal pagan ministry. Did you have any trouble finding pagans who are willing to chat with you about their ministry? No, there are certainly a lot of pagans out there who are still kind of um, closeted or semi-closeted, but the people I talked to were pretty much open about what they're doing, and some have been doing it for decades. Mm. One thing, you know, I used to have a friend here in town, and she always said, you need to come out of the broom closet. (laughs) And I'd say, you don't understand my clients. I'm not protected by any equal employment opportunity laws. Uh, because I'm, I work for myself and my clients can choose to contract with me or not. Right. But she was exactly right. She said the, it was just like Harvey Milk said to the gay community back mm-hmm. in the day, everybody who can come out as much as you're able as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And what happened with me was Interfaith Partners formed, Interfaith Partners of South Carolina, mm-hmm. and asked me to be the pagan rep on the board, which was kind of like a miracle to me. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought, well, I've been hearing about pagans that I know through Cherry Hill being involved in Interfaith for a while, and this really interests me, and I'm finishing up with this last client, so this will be my year to come out of the broom closet, and I did. And guess what? People really love me. It's amazing how that works out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I know that you have come and spoken for several events with us. And so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, of course, there are people who are very against anything that is not their narrow view right. of religion. But for the most part, I find that people are pretty much curious about what I believe and practice. They just want to understand more. And they... Yeah. They enjoy the conversations that we have as a way of reflecting about their own faith. Yeah, that's been really, really shocking to me because 10 years ago or so, I would never, ever have thought that I would sit virtually or otherwise with another minister, Christian, Muslim, 
Jewish, all these different people Mm -hmm. and be able to have an equal voice. Yeah. And I have found that I've been able to do that. And I see you doing that. And it's absolutely amazing and such a wonderful thing for the pagan world. And I tell people about um, interfaith. You know, when pagans first get into interfaith, I think the impulse is, oh, yeah, okay, good. I'm going to be there to represent my religion, and people are going to mm. find out we're, we're cool, too, and they should accept <laughs> us. And then after a while, they begin to build relationships, and, they, and then we uh, learn about each other's religions just because we're interested, not because yeah. we're converting anybody. And then ultimately, and I think this is the third phase of interfaith growth, you come to understand that the skills you learn in being different but being together, that's that's how we get world peace. Definitely. I'm really convinced. And I know you've joined me in that a number of times, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Since we have a full moon, I thought I'd offer a prayer for the full moon from a book of pagan prayer. As the sun retreats, you enter the sky. Give birth to the night, great mother. Give birth to your children that fill the dark sky. Give birth to our dreams that will fill our sleep. Your silver disc will light the entire night. None of the night will be turned over to the dark. Even as your soft light guides my path tonight, may your gentle influence spread softly through my life. The round face of the mother, look down on me in blessing. Light my way through darkness. And so it is. I was talking, this kind of brings me to mind of, talking to a fellow podcaster just last night she is in australia Uh we were talking about how there's been this huge shift in the world over the past i don't know i feel like it's been for me past five or six years at least here in the south and i mean i think back to when you asked me to speak at the presbyterian church it's been several (laughs) years Uh i was in all honesty i was so trepidatious about doing that and my husband was so terrified that he actually came with me because he didn't know what the reception would be like because of all the terrible experiences that we have had and I have personally had in the past. But it was such a wonderful thing. And I know they didn't all agree with me, but they were so gracious and I had a blast and it shocked me. And it just was not the same world that I had known in the past. And so with your finger on the pulse of the pagan world and a lot of what you do, including your interfaith work that we were just talking about, and you talk about the changing religious landscape in your book as well. So tell me how you see that changing in in your own view. During this period, I also began to encounter uh, some recent writings by people like Dwayne Bidwell, who wrote a book called When One Religion is Not Enough. And uh, Linda Mercadante, who wrote a book called Beyond Belief, and she interviewed and studied people who said they were spiritual but not religious, and this included uh, pagans. And now I understand that 
a growing, growing number of people in our society have multiple religious identifications, or they are changing and shifting. And think of it, think of it this way, you grow up and you marry somebody outside your faith. Mm-hmm. You have children and you try to teach them both your faiths. And then maybe somebody gets a divorce and then another religion enters in and then the children grow up and they find their own, but they still enjoy some aspects of what they grew up with. It's very complicated out there. And I think if we don't learn to be open, to recognize what we have in common without trying to make us all the same, And there's a skill that uh, you run across in some healthcare or uh, counseling professions called code switching, Mm -hmm. which is just being able to use the language of the people you're with in terms that they understand. So I may light a candle, I may sometimes work a spell, but to most of my interfaith friends, I just say, I'm praying for you. Yeah. Uh, because to me, it's the same effect. We're both trying to impact somebody's life in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. A lot of people seem shocked when they find out that I actually went to school. Now, I didn't go to Cherry Hill Seminary, although it's mm-hmm. been on my mind. Ah. Um, <laughs> but I did when I did go back to school in my 40s, part of my training was to become an ordained minister. Uh-huh. In a lot of other religions, it's pretty much a requirement, but it seems like for a pagan, it's out of the ordinary. So why do you think pagans and even non-pagans sometimes who are looking in on the pagan world feel like pagans don't need training to be a leader? Well, I think that's a, a real misconception. And my survey really brought that out because people mentioned so many problems, everything from not being able to manage money to um, leadership squabbles or uh, decision-making problems. I think that we have a, a resistance because we are a significant break from the religious waves of the last few centuries, at least in the West, and we want to be different. Now, Of course, in uh, many of the witchcraft traditions, you had a particular initiatory system, and that produces a priest, and everybody is supposed to be capable of becoming a priest. Mm -hmm. But the skills of a priest are not necessarily the same as those of a community organizer or pastoral counselor. And I really learned more of that as I went through school and then particularly going through Red Cross training. You know, when you're a chaplain serving a particular population rather than a religious group, it's not about your religion. Mm. It's about the other person. Yeah. Uh, Whereas with a a priest, maybe it is about your religion and you're trying to inculcate those values in your flock, so to speak. Um, Whereas the chaplain's approach is I'm there at the point that I'm needed for whatever you need from me. And 99% of that is simply listening. 
So I also began to understand that the pagan world is a lot like this interfaith, multicultural, multi-religious, uh, multi diverse society that we live in. We've got, gosh, I think I had people describe more than 200 traditions they, they considered to be wow. uh, their identity in my survey. So you really have to be flexible. You have to be able to accommodate your thinking to understand people's background. And not all of us are going to fit together, and that's fine. Mm. But that's where I think the interface skills of learning to be together and have dialogue without trying to change what the other people thinks, but simply saying how you feel, that can be very valuable. The transition between maybe having a, a small group or even being a solitary and then deciding, okay, I need to be a community pagan leader. Mm -hmm. What do you see as people's reasons for making that, that jump? People rarely seek out that kind of leadership mm -hmm. in, in the pagan world, in my experience. Mm -hmm. What happens more often, I believe, is that some of us are just natural leaders or, you know, it's, it's like the old story about some of us run away from danger and others run towards it to yeah, help. Yeah. And uh, I think of myself as probably in that last category, and I have actually done that, <laughs> much to my <laughs> husband's consternation. <laughs> Yeah, yelling back behind me at the same time, call 911. <laughs> but I also have had so many people just come to me and say, can you check in with my husband who's just lost a parent? Do you know somebody who could do a funeral for this family who don't really understand what their loved one's religion was and they want to honor him? or I've got to get a lawyer quick <laughs> and somebody who won't use my religion against me when it comes to custody. Mm. So uh, these are things that if people perceive you as a leader, they will turn to you whether you want them to or not. And you can turn them away or you can avoid that sort of thing. But if you find that you're compelled to respond in some way, then it's really a good thing for you to seek training. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us don't get training in ethics and boundaries, mm -hmm. abuse issues, yeah. uh, alcohol and drug addiction, mental illness. You don't, you know, we don't learn in- um, How to handle death. Yes, yes, transitions. Um, I've had people come to me and say, I've, I've realized that I, I now identify as female. I, I don't know how I'm going to handle that transition. So, you know, with a Master of Divinity, that does not make me a mental health expert or a gender and sexuality specialist. But part of what I encourage people to do is develop your referral sources. Mm -hmm. I've got my little black book, so to speak, <laughs> of people that I can say, here's a really great counselor and this is her area of specialty. And sometimes I just reach out to my personal friends network and say, okay, hive mind, who I, I need to help somebody find an attorney in this area. Yeah. And that, that actually works well. And so this really talks 
to what types of spiritual care that a pagan minister is giving. They're giving advice. They're doing a spiritual counseling in a sense, and they're sitting with people who are dying. They're, there's so many different things. What are some other types of things that pagan ministers are called to do besides lead ritual and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I think teaching is an important skill. Mm. And I think most of us in the pagan world start teaching before we really know what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I know I learn that way, but you know, the more you can learn, the better. I I really credit the Druids with prizing education, Mm, learning more about your lore, learning to be more uh, discerning of your sources is uh, very helpful. And then, you know, at Cherry Hill, part of our community ministry certificate is is four weeks on how to make a presentation, how to plan Mm -hmm. a workshop. So those are good skills to have. I think um, on the spiritual support side, we we are in the West, I think, especially in America, we're so selfish and (laughs) self-centered. And some of that's good, you know, some of us came out of a, a culture that um, taught us to, to never put ourselves first. Right, exactly. um, and I think somehow we've gotten a little out of balance with that. <laughs> so uh, one of the most important skills I think we can learn is active listening. Mm. How to just be with somebody. I find that you're really good at that, Bella. Oh, I, I appreciate you. you have a calming demeanor, which... Uh, is very peaceful for me. And that's something that they actually teach you when you're a mental health counselor and they teach you in divinity school is something they call non-anxious presence. Mm. And while people have written whole books about that, I'll just boil it down to say, if there's a crisis, I'm no help if I'm freaking out. I need to be the calm one in the room. (laughs) Yes, that is logical, yeah. Yeah, this is not about me right now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so learning those um, uh, active listening skills, uh, getting some training about leadership. And then for people who actually have pagan groups, I strongly suggest that you look around. A lot of community foundations or United Ways or groups like that will offer periodic training that's either free or cheap about how to get your nonprofit, if that's what you really want to do, I don't recommend it all the time, how to organize in a responsible way, how to have accountability and transparency, what is a public record and what's not, when do you have a responsibility to report suspected abuse, Yes. things like that. I, I didn't know any of this before. Yeah, my ethics classes in school were some of the best preparation tools that I had for for going into this. Yeah, what did you learn? I learned everything that you just said. I learned anything from what we should be posting on social media, what we shouldn't, um, to the sexual part of it, to having a code of ethics and sticking to it, self-care, the ethics of taking care of ourselves, and Mm -hmm. just all of that. It was an entire course on ethics. It wasn't just one class they threw at us. We had to take an entire course on ethics. Yeah, yeah. And it is a complex subject, but I think on the practical level, 
you've summed it up. How do we act from day to day? Yeah. If others are looking to us as an example, right. and they will, they will. You may not like that, but they will yeah. say, "Well, what would Mella do in this situation?" <laughs> yeah, and even even something as simple as like you mentioned about if someone comes and tells about abuse, just knowing exactly what to do, having to do the work to find out even who you would call in your own state or country, and and I know that even through my hypnotherapy, as well as my work as a minister, I tell people up front, if you come here and you tell me that a child is being abused, you're you're being abused, there are certain aspects of that I have to report. You cannot yes. come and tell me certain things and I hold it in confidentiality. There are certain things that in my code of ethics, they see, I will report that. Yeah. And I will say that I tell my students, if anybody is required to report this, then I think that means that we should report it too. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean we go around pointing the fingers and making baseless accusations, but you know, the pagan community uh, circled the wagons for a long time on some notable abuse cases. Mm -hmm. And there were people whose entire lives were ruined because pagans just did not want to acknowledge that their icons were abusers. So it's, it's important to be realistic about that stuff. And a lot of the downfalls that affect pagan leaders affect groups and religions and spiritual paths all around the world. Now, are there any downfalls or flaws that you have seen from your research or seen from your experience that just affect the pagan community or pagan ministers? You know, I think because we are non-hierarchical and it's uh, acceptable to be so eclectic, it's easy for people to say, oh, well, that's not part of my tradition Mm. or I'm pagan, we're different. Mm -mm. Sometimes that's true, but when it comes to you know, what I call sandbox stuff, how we treat each other. Mm. I think those things, those values are universal. If it is going to harm somebody else, then it's not a good thing. So we become blind because we're giving ourselves a pass Mm. on things. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, just like other religions, we have people who whose ego becomes an issue. Unfortunately, I do find that the pagan world has got a very big culture of personality and celebrity. And I think that's mainly because we're so uh, disparate from each other. We're in different places. So if somebody is public as a musician or a writer or a store owner even, Mm -hmm. then uh, we begin to think of them. It's just like a magnetic thing. You know, we're drawn to them thinking that we'll find something from them or we'll learn more, grow in our, our, our spiritual walk. So they become celebrities and sometimes that's okay. And, uh, a lot of times it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that I have seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of just creepy shit happen in paganism. I know when, when I first started my pagan meetup, it was open to everyone. And this man showed up He literally had his book of shadows with him and his goal was to get the ladies in my group 
to create a coven. And he was, his energy was so creepy. And as soon as he walked out of my house and the door shut, this was, I think, the first or second meeting. So the ladies didn't know me well. They didn't know each other. And so many of them said, that man was creepy. Don't let him come back. Don't let him in here. He yeah. creeped me out. He was so domineering. He was showing us stuff in his book of this is how we need to be doing our group. And he wanted these women. And I've also had clients and friends talk to me about experiences with covens and groups where there was this very toxic sexual environment. So there are a lot of creepers in pagan leadership and it bothers me. And I feel like when I was in my religious past, it was secretive. And the mm -hmm. difference I see is it is so blatant in what I've seen. Um, what do you think about paganism allows these people to be so blatant about it? Well, we have this um, legacy of one, openness to sexuality, which is wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. Which is a great thing, yes. Yes. But whenever people who have devious motives see an opening, you know, that get, mm. they feel you give an inch, they take a mile, as you say. Yeah. We also have the, the paradigm of the great right. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It's uh, a powerful image, but I personally have known somebody through prison ministry in years past who used that as a predator to lure young girls and promise them initiation. And then, of course, he drugged them and raped them. And he spent the rest of his life in prison, but there are a lot of people that are not caught. Some of my earliest exposure to um, pagan groups around here, I know somebody said, yes, this same person, blah, 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 another, another individual had shown up at their group in one city and wanted to molest him, but he was young and he was smaller, mm -hmm. physically small. And so he said, I think he saw me as a, a target and the uh, group ostracized him. But because they were all in the closet, he just went to another group, another city mm -hmm. over. And then last yeah. I heard, he was at still another group. Wow. So, uh, it, you know, it was uh, around this time that something caused me to call up Sheriff Leon Lott mm -hmm. in Richland County, who's a great sheriff. And he, he kind of chuckled at me at first. I knew him, actually, because they had uh, made some great inroads in LGBT issues and formed a task force. And I said, you know, there's another group that I've told you before is even more in the closet and that's pagans. Well, eventually I said, yeah, but there are victims who are not coming forward because they're afraid of being exposed. Well, that got his attention. He said, in Richland County, we take care of our victims. And he said, can you come in at such and such a time? I want you to meet somebody. So that was the beginning of my, um, relationship with the Richland County Sheriff's Department as a liaison hmm. and I did training for a number of groups uh, that that's where all that stuff in my little resume comes from <laughs> but the first time I talked at a state conference I don't even know what I said I certainly was no expert at the time I just did it because it was something that needed to be done there was a sudden outburst in this room full of about a hundred people. And the uh, uh, person in charge finally said, folks, we need to explain to our guests why you're all in such a hubbub. And 
So somebody said, if we had known what you just told us in our first five minutes with you, if we had known this, we could have put this particular predator away two years earlier. But because we didn't understand paganism, we didn't know. So this just reminded me that there is confidentiality and there's secrecy. Mm. Confidentiality shows respect for other people. Secrecy is hiding something. And usually when people have something to hide, it's that's not a good thing. <laughs> right. Oh, that is such a good good thing to think about confidentiality versus secrecy yeah i've got a little article that we use in one of our classes that i'll be happy to share with your listeners i called us i don't know if anybody remembers a movie from about 30 years ago called sex lies and videotape so anyway i titled this one sex lies and cults Mm -hmm. uh, because somebody did come through and was kind of courting us at cherry hill and i found out later that you know, the person he introduced me with him as his daughter was actually a girlfriend. And, mm. you know, he had people signing over their life insurance to him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, stuff like that. So usually if it involves sex or money or control, hmm. those are the big issues to look mm-hmm. out for and be careful about. I'm not sure if because of this whole sex and just the idea that people have about it is why we don't have a lot of ministry to children and teens. But can you talk about that? Because I just, I feel so strongly in creating something for earth-centered kids. And my sister and I have been working on that for a few years. The pandemic has held us back, but why Mm -hmm. don't we see ministry to children of pagan families? I'm so glad you brought that up. And actually, we have somebody teaching a four-week class this fall called Raising Pagan Mm. at Cherry Hill Seminary, and she's a young mother. Well, you know, a lot of groups uh, have not allowed children. Right. And I always thought that was curious. I thought, you know, if the children are told this is only for adults, uh, why are they going to be interested in it when they're old enough? Right. Uh, And I understand that some of that comes out of the the traditional witchcraft and and great right references. But I think a lot of people have been able to teach children and develop ways of doing that successfully. Starhawk and Ann Hill, and I think a third person wrote a great book called Circle Round Mm -hmm. uh, years ago. And it's, I think it's still an excellent book. I think if we think of our religion as something that's not safe for children, maybe we need to look back at our religion. Absolutely. (laughs) That is my whole feeling. Why are we making it feel like, you know, don't let kids come to your rituals. Don't let kids come to your group meetings. And I say for my Owen Grove Fellowship, Bring your kids, let them run around, let them play, let them join us. Yeah. This is a family thing. And I don't see as much paganism for families as I do as for adult individuals. And, you know, we have a whole wave of uh, young adult pagans yeah. coming along and they have children. There are some activities that are, of course, better for adults only. Not because right. it's adult content, but because sometimes... The parents need a break from the children. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. But that's not the same as an adults-only religion. Mm -hmm. And I know some people will disagree with me there. I I appreciate that. But Mm -hmm. um, that's my feeling. The very first 
Wiccan circle I ever went to, and they were very secretive, but they had children. So the children yeah. were in the circle, and they yeah. were teaching them everything. So, I, I, and I thought, this is so refreshing. I really appreciate this. You know, when you think about churches, the kids are supposed to sit there and behave and be quiet and all that sort of thing. And maybe that is part of the reason that people would not bring kids because they're gonna, there's not a pew for them to sit and be quiet. And I've had kids come to my full moon ceremonies, for instance, and I will give them a job to do. They'll walk around the circle as we create sacred space with me, playing drums or playing instruments. I always bring a lot of instruments with me for Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. and I'll have them help me do certain things to get them involved. And there's one child in particular that has come to many, many of those and uh, rituals and he, he loves Mother Moon and he loves being involved. And yeah, sometimes he runs around and his dad has had to say, all right, let's keep it down a little bit. (laughs) But I personally think that it is much healthier to have your child there, even if they're talking or chatting or running around and playing off to the distance, than to have these little created robots having to sit there and, you know, their hands in their lap like I always had to. And they're not, they're just waiting to get out. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, I grew up in a very traditional um, Lutheran church, and I, there was no nursery mm. until after you were, I think, one. Right. So, and my parents had four children. I was the oldest of four, and we were expected to sit in church in those hard pews, and it mm-hmm. was miserable. And as we got older, we had to really behave, you know. But one thing I realized a few years ago, I was talking to my husband about how I just was terrible at memorizing ritual. I could memorize lyrics to songs. I was a soloist for years, but I just, I wasn't confident, but I hated shuffling papers in Mm. circle. And he said, you know, I asked my old Episcopal priest friend about that one time. And he said, you know, I can't remember ever seeing a priest or a bishop that didn't have their prayer book, their service book open all during a service, even though I know we all know that stuff by heart. And I remembered that, yeah, growing up, I always knew the liturgy. Lutherans are liturgical, so that it, mm-hmm. it's... You know, there's a lot you say and you stand up and sit down a lot. Catholics and Episcopalians are also liturgical. So I just knew it because I had been hearing it and then participating in it from the time I was a child. And from the time I learned to read, I would ask my parents, what's this? And they would put the church bulletin in front of me and say, okay, you can look this book up in this red book now and we're going to sing out of that, Mm. et cetera. So... I began to feel that I belonged because I was included. Yeah. I, that's several miscellaneous thoughts in there, but. Oh, that's good thoughts. Good thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> because it shows that the more you were able to participate, you felt included. And that can be taken to pagan ministry as well. Yes. Yes. And in, in my group, I really do try to bring out the leadership in each of my members and toss them the ball so that they're mm. in charge of things from time to time. It's not always me. Yeah. I've also had to learn that there are some people that really don't feel comfortable with that, and they're perfectly happy mm. for somebody else to lead things. 
So that's taught me to be a better listener and observer of the needs of the people around me. And is your book just for pagans or is there anything in there that other religions and spiritualities can take away from it? Oh, thank you so much for asking that. No, I wrote this with anybody in mind. In fact, the subtitle is A Guide for Those Serving Today's Pagans. Mm. That means chaplains in a hospital, in a disaster shelter, at a fire, people serving inmates in a prison. As I said, for the chaplain, it's not about your religion, it's about the other person. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, comments on the back of the book cover by Kathy Jensen, she's uh, a lead person nationally with the Red Cross in spiritual care. And she was so excited to get this and I and ordered several copies for the hospital she's with mm. because she said, I want my chaplains to read this so they oh, can wonderful. better understand. Yeah, yeah. So I really think um, anybody that wants to have a better understanding of this diverse and uh, multicultural population, I hope that they'll find it useful. And I hope that for pagan leaders, it will remind us that we've had an understanding of interconnectedness better than most people for a long time. Mm -hmm. We we know that we are genuinely connected and we also are tolerant of other religions. We adapt to change. We're very creative. We're not interested in converting others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a lot to offer without even needing to bring people into our religion. Mm, yes. And there are a lot of different opportunities at Cherry Hill Seminary, not just Masters of Divinity and a doctorate. Uh, what sort of opportunities can people find? Yeah. Well, first of all, the Mas Master of Divinity is a terminal degree, and with it, you may be able to apply for board certification as a chaplain, which is the key to getting a job as a chaplain. We also have something called the Community Ministry Certificate, which I think is great for people who don't have a college, a, a bachelor's degree, or a, or maybe even a high school diploma, mm -hmm. and um, they but they they feel like they need to get up to speed. This is a 15-month uh, self-directed program. You're assigned a faculty mentor, and uh, we encourage people to use the the initial CMC after their name when they're done. And we mm -hmm. cover all the topics that you and I have been talking about, mm -hmm. but just not in a, a, a real academic way. It's more of a accessible to everybody. Now, having said that, I will say that we've had students, we've got somebody going through right now who's a medical doctor. Uh, I've had a student who was a PhD professor of philosophy at a mm. university, and they have found it challenging uh, because it's challenging personally. It challenges you to do your work. Mm. And uh, most people have found it to be a very strong complement to their own tradition or helpful as they determine what their tradition is. And then anybody can take a course from us, we ask that you get permission. If you don't have a bachelor's and you're not one of our master's students, we do ask that you check in with either the office or the professor before enrolling in that. But 
you can attend as a guest. And then we have these uh, short courses that we call Insights that are for anybody. They're only four weeks, they're uh, less expensive, and um, they're just on various topics of interest. So for example, we had somebody teach a class this summer called The Spirituality of Water, a Summer Refresher. Uh, I have taught on uh, Egyptian religion at times. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one that starts Monday called Archaeology and Ritual, and it's mm -hmm. taught by a pagan archaeologist. Um, there's somebody who teaches a, a cycle of courses on archetypal imagery and how you use those in your ministry. We have somebody who's a, a, a thanatologist who mm -hmm. teaches on end-of-life issues. Um, there's the Raising Pagan class coming up in November. There's one on the Seven African Powers and Oshun, Oya, and Yamaya in October, and Environmentalism in November. Wow. So those are some examples of things that oh beautiful you, you just never know what you're going to find and yeah i love that <laughs> <laughs> we're happy for anybody to um get on our email list i promise we won't spam you <laughs> but you'll get announcements about this stuff and so where would they go to learn more about cherry hill seminary and to, and to get on that email list cherryhillseminary.org and we'll also give you the link that you can post. And I, I'd like to go back to Interfaith, if I may. Yeah. Uh, we have a great website with a lot of resources. It's interfaithpartnersofsc.org. And we have a, we've had a monthly dinner group with discussions and special presenters for about seven years now. And because of COVID, we've gone virtual. So we have people attending from various parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And those programs are wonderful. So uh, you can watch that too. And how about how people follow you personally? I'm on Facebook, Holly E. Moore. I'm on Twitter, I confess. I don't watch Twitter a lot. I just have <laughs> limited bandwidth. <laughs> Great. And where can we buy your book, Constellated Ministry, a guide for those serving today's pagans? It is available on Amazon, but if you go to the publisher right now, equinox.pub, they are offering a 25% discount. You use the code religion. Religion is the code. Okay, perfect. And I will put all that, as usual, in the show notes. So if you weren't able to catch that just from audio, y'all, check the show notes and all that will be there. And do you have any final words, anything that you just feel like you want to say that you didn't get a chance to say yet? Yes, I want to say that if you feel drawn to serving, listen to your heart. You know, the shape of compassion now is that what happens far away touches all of us. Mm. And, and COVID has been teaching us how to be a community of separated individuals. So if you feel that you have a role in helping us be a community, then uh, yeah, maybe you'll find something out of this podcast that will help you, but don't feel that you can't answer that call as well. Holly, I am so grateful for giving your time to come and speak to me today. Thank you. Thank you, Nella. This has been a pleasure. And as always, I would love to hear what our listeners think about this episode's topics. So if you go to our podcast website, you can comment on this very episode with your thoughts, 
your questions. You can even click that little microphone and send me a voice message, and I might just use it on a future episode. Take care, and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.